0: everyone and welcome to the Thriving Minds podcast. I'm Professor Selena Bartlett and today I'm joined by Dr. Susan Yagi. She's a professor in education and cognitive science at the University of California, Irvine. And we're really lucky today because she's going to share with us her latest citizen science project, which I hope you all would like to try. And uh, we're going to be talking a lot about brain training today and working memory and then how that helps you become more resilient and trying to introduce some of that. So thank you, Suzanne, for joining us today.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me, Selena. Uh, I'm, as Selena said, I'm a professor at UC Irvine where I'm directing the working memory and plasticity lab. And uh, in my lab, we study how people learn. And uh, within that space, I'm particularly interested to understand how and why people learn differently. And there we look at the role of uh, people's environments, their education and intellectual engagement and how that shapes uh, learning and brain development. And most importantly, we focus on what we can do to help people learn better and reach their potential. And to do this, my team and I have been creating and testing apps and games to assess and promote learning across the lifespan, all the way from little kids to older adults.
0: Yes. And uh, so I came across your work um, outside publications and science through the Scientific American article, where there's been a lot of controversy in the field about whether it's worthwhile um, doing brain training exercises. And there've been some people saying that it's that they're getting benefits and there's other people saying that that they're really good at the games, but then it doesn't transfer to other aspects of their life. And so you're in this article, you've started a whole citizen science project aimed at trying to address some of this controversy or, through different, be, between la- by doing large studies and you're trying to recruit 30,000 people. So let's talk a little bit about how you came to do this, and I think this is the most valuable piece I've seen happening uh, for brain training. Yeah,
1: thank you. So uh, yes, indeed. So our citizen science project uh, is funded by the National Institute of uh, Mental Health in the US, and really has the key goal to address these long-standing controversies in, in the field of brain training, as you just said. Um, and and indeed there have been long standing discussions and and argument around the challenges and um benefits of using brain training apps to improve possibly uh, cognitive skills um and and a lot of people have argued you you should stop doing that you're wasting your time you're wasting your money um but but there's still an increasing number of studies that uh, demonstrate that certain brain training exercises can indeed be beneficial uh, in improving a variety of cognitive skills from uh, ranging from basic attention skills to even math skills or reading comprehension skills. Um, But on the other hand, there's also a substantial number of studies that do not find any effects. Uh, And the question is really, how do we reconcile these uh, differences and these different findings? And I've been doing work in that domain since I was a grad student. So it's coming up to uh, 20 years or something too. Uh, And for about a decade now, we have been arguing that we're really asking the wrong questions in in, in that we're simply asking whether or not brain training works, Um, but um, that there's really no one size fits all with brain training but rather there are individual differences. So differences between people that we yet have to understand that impact whether and how certain brain training interventions are beneficial uh, or not. Um, Specifically, we often see that while our intervention clearly works for some, others don't seem to be uh, responding well uh, or they're not really engaged, which of course leads to them not really getting any benefits so in order to get a better handle at, um to understand what interventions work best and for whom we have embarked on this big citizen science project in which we are enrolling 30,000 people uh, which is a, a large scale study so typically uh, the field has doing uh, has been doing um work with small scale studies with 30 40 people so really trying to go beyond that and uh, having various um All these people undergo testing and training at home uh, with variants of interventions and variants of assessments with the hopes that the results will allow us to come up with interventions um, that, first of all, it it lets us understand who is is going to benefit and in in what aspects of the interventions. And then um, that would allow us to come up with interventions that can be targeted to certain individuals and therefore maximize the benefits for all or at least for most.
0: So, can we let's let's um, just spend a couple of minutes for for the audience um, describing what we mean by this. So, you're the fellow and leader of a centre that's focusing on learning and memory, and and your goal is to your kind of expertise is in working memory. I think it's really important, and I know I'll just let everyone know you have PhDs in cognitive psychology and um, and neuroscience as well. So, can we just talk a bit about this because this word um, especially in the neuroscience field is fraught also with a lot of difficulty so people Mm -hmm. will say to you i don't know what working memory is show me where working memory is for example in the brain um let's talk to the audience and tell them exactly what you mean by what working memory is and how people are using it as examples
1: yes so yeah that's that's a good question so I, i tend to see working memory almost like our cardiovascular system of the brain that allows us to do so many, many things um, that we deal with in in, in our daily life. So working memory essentially allows us to hold information in mind for a brief period of time in order to do other things. Uh, So um, for example, if you're being asked to Multiply fifty-eight by sixty-two. Uh, what you do is, is um, in your working memory, you're try- depending on how you try to solve this problem. You're you're trying to add up um, the the multiples of your um, multiplication uh, example and add them up in your memory in order to come up with your uh, final result. So holding information in mind and man- manipulating it in order to do other things. Or if you think about reading a short paragraph, you have to keep in mind the information at the beginning of the sentence in order to make sense of the rest of the sentence and integrate it with the next um, pieces that are coming um, while you're reading. Um, So yes, so it's really that we we use it in in every
0: day, yes. And this is very important. Um, aspect of the brain. So this is different to recalling a memory from the past. But if you have poor working memory, it makes it hard for you to have good long term memory. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Yes, exactly. So working memory
1: is really at the intersection between everything that we see that we hear that we perceive, and uh, our memory representations kind of really at this uh, intersection uh, that we have to we have to use um, working memory in order to make sense, in order to make decisions, uh, in order to navigate between information that's coming in and information that we have already stored um, and and, and kind of um, uh, facilitate everything that we do uh, from holding a conversation to solving problems, to to making decisions um, that we have to integrate this information from perception attention to uh, long-term memory. And the key thing there is that this is one of these cognitive functions that, um, well, one, it's highly malleable. So it increases as we get um, older, as we our brain develops and um, we, we get, we, we improve our working memory skills. And at some point it also kind of declines again, because so it's one of the key functions that is highly susceptible to the effects of cognitive aging. And in addition, it's also one of these functions that's often impaired by a wide range of clinical um, uh, syndromes like ADHD or depression. So it's often one of the the first cognitive functions that seem to be affected by a range of um, um, external uh, and also internal um, um, uh, lesions or... or, um, injuries or, or acts
0: i'd like so to say that stress hmm. is probably one of the biggest it's ones stress. too like burnout exactly. Fog. yes COVID. exactly um i'd like to just focus one second there if you don't mind on covid because what i noticed when i got covid uh, this year it's a few months mm-hmm. now but it really did affect some of my working memory i could tell right so mm-hmm. that meant yes that I to start mm-hmm. training it back I, I'm still working on it, but I it really did affect my working memory. I could feel it, and see it, and notice it. Mm-hmm. Example,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, I I'm very sorry to hear that. And and many people, as you just describe, have have um, reported these effects of long COVID. So brain fog is, is often kind of expressed in poor working memory uh, skills as well, because it it's really becoming hard to focus and and keep information. The relevant information uh, in mind, and maybe um, you've experienced, right? It, it's getting hard to hold a conversation and and kind of remembering what what the person just said uh, earlier as well. And and that's really what what working memory is is very critical for, and and it, it's at the front and center of uh, anything cognitive uh, that we do. So so working memory helps you with with a lot of different uh, cognitive functions. And that's why it's so important to have means that um, help you foster and maintain um, these working memory skills by, for example, by cognitive training, um,
0: exactly. which is
1: the focus of my, my work that I do. Yes.
0: So so that's a nice segue to this next point. And this is the point that I find is missing a lot, um, is that just like you go to the gym to tone your arms, This part Mm -hmm. of the brain can be trained too, like a muscle. And that's what you mean by brain training for people that aren't aware. So this is a physical part of the brain and everyone's architecture is quite different as well. Mm -hmm. And some people have excellent working memory and some people have poor working memory for lots of varieties of reasons. But there's no mm-hmm. reason that you can find right now, except for maybe some genetics and some architectural pieces that are missing, that you can't move your current working memory to a, a better level. That's what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think that the the public and scientists, they really increasingly uh, recognize that our brains and our working memory in particular are malleable and that there's evidence for brain plasticity and and your possibility to increase working memory, even at very old age, as you said, so even though that some people clearly do have um, challenges and deficits in working memory, there are ways you can train and practice your working memory skills, and that hopefully that will help them to also get better in other skills that rely on this uh, functioning of of the working memory um, uh, specifically. So And I also think that that most people would agree that there's a need to better understand the ingredients, the relevant ingredients of an intervention that targets working memory skills. So for example, how long should you train? What exactly should you train? uh, What cognitive, exact cognitive processes should it target? And also the person characteristics and and motivations that also interact with the, the training outcome. So going back to kind of the the question that we um, touched on earlier. So the simple question of whether or not brain training or working memory training or brain training works um, is really largely the wrong question to ask. So uh, if I give you an analogy, if you would simply ask, well, do drugs work? um, (laughs) People will be puzzled too and say, well, of course it would depend on what you're trying to treat and whom you'd, you'd want to treat. Um, And that's where precision medicine comes into play. And I think we're at a very similar point in time with uh, brain training as well. Um, uh, And and given the fact that brain training is still in its relative infancy, even though very early attempts go back a hundred years or so, (laughs) but the scientific journey in trying to, to get at this has really only begun and we have a long way to go, which then makes this endeavor to understand for whom and why brain training works it is really interesting and exciting to me.
0: So I'm I I came across your work and was really excited to see that you're going to the effort to do this because it's not simple to recruit 30,000 people. Let alone, there's just so many factors outside the funding. There's like data. There's so so many factors. So I'm really excited that you've committed to do this. And and what I the other thing I was really excited about is that your understanding, both you and your partners' understanding, of the differences between people, and your consideration of their ability to train on a near task. Which would be great to explain to the audience what you mean by that. And let's let's you've published some of this now, I believe, in a really good journal, and perhaps you can tell mm-hmm. the audience about what you mean by that and and what you've what you've published so far that you're able to talk about.
1: Right, right. So what we typically see when people are uh, um engaging in in brain training or working memory training work is, uh, that they are better at getting better at the task that they're training on. So it's um, like when you're taking up running, for example, you're getting faster, you're getting uh, better at running. And um, you, the, the question is really whether that running also makes you a better swimmer, let's say, or a mountain climber. And if so, we could then say that your running skills, your improved running skills, they generalize or transfer to these other domains. So, in training that that that's in brain training, that's really what we're interested in. So does improving these very specific skills that we're targeting with brain training does these improvements generalize or transfer to these other skills or domains that are different from the training task? So again, if you're training on a working memory, app on a working memory training game, so we're we're getting better at holding pieces of information in mind for a brief period of time, does that help me to solve math problems, for example, or making better decisions as I'm I'm trying to uh, decide between different options or between different problems that I have to solve? So that's really the the kind of the key outcome that many people have become uh, interested in to test and see whether we can get these far transfer effects that go beyond the trained skills. And uh, in that new paper that you mentioned uh, before that we have just published in Nature Human Behavior, uh, we trained a large um, uh, number of participants on um, a working memory training. And we tested whether and how much people might improve in in a problem solving task, in a matrix reasoning task in which they had to uh, select um, uh, solve certain logic problems that are very different from the task that they have uh, trained on. And what we saw there is that the more that individuals improve in the trained tasks, so, so the better they, they uh, do the training, that the more improvements they show in this task, the more transfer and the more benefits they get in this uh, reasoning task uh, later on. Uh, so in these tasks that were not part of the training. So... In other words, so we we have been uh, able to show that it's really critical for folks to improve the skills that they're training on. So they have to improve in the trained task itself and learn in order to apply their newly applied skills to other settings. So that's the really critical piece. So it doesn't really just magically appear um, these four transfer effects, but but they really are essentially depending on how much you actually improve in the training um
0: and then at the same time almost like learning to learn isn't it and and feeling the the power of uh doing that in a a sense yes it's like developing Mm a set of resilience around oh well maybe i can learn this after all
1: Yes, so this is a good uh term, right So my colleagues at the University of Geneva and Wisconsin Daphne Boly and Sean Green they talk about this learning to learn concept right so learn how to deal with the new situation and to deal with the the training task that will help you to learn new skills and uh I think this is is really one of the the points that probably drive some of these uh, transfer effects um but then what, what's critical also to recognize is still, and we touched about uh, on this a little bit earlier, clearly not everyone succeeds in getting better at this training task, uh, which is really what we're trying to focus on right now. So trying to understand um, who is struggling with this uh, very specific learning. And then more importantly, so what can we do to help those who struggle with the training in order to also provide them with the opportunity to benefit.
0: Yeah. So my interest in that, because I signed up to the project, obviously, because I'm (laughs) one, I'm definitely one of your citizens and uh, yeah. And uh, really, really interested in this concept that uh, and I agree that people have been asking the wrong question. And I knew that a long time ago when I was developing drugs (laughs) too, because you know, they're now shown that serotonin has nothing to do with depression. So all those antidepressants, for example, that people are taking are mainly placebo effects, Mm -hmm. maybe, we don't know exactly. But but when it comes to the brain and when you've studied it for a long time, you understand, one, it's plasticity, but you also understand the individual differences between people and their capacities. It's like no wonder, there's no way you could group people into two groups because I know Mm -hmm. just you and I, our brain and, and the way it works is so different. So, Mm -hmm. but but we would be in the same group if we were doing a trial, Mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. uh, what I've noticed um, just from a short amount of training myself, and this is, and you can't do n equals one, but you can observe things, is the ability to be more curious about your capacity to be able to be better at something that you didn't think you could ever do. So, instead of already shutting down, saying no, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. you start to see a change in your mindset about what you can maybe do if you try harder, if you know what I mean? Like, -hmm. and and, I mean, Carol Dweck talks about this in her growth mindset, for example, but I like it from a Mm -hmm. neuroscience perspective where training it like a muscle rather than Mm -hmm. thinking about the willpower of having to do something that you need to train because I guess mm-hmm. the problem we see right now is people don't see it as something that they should fit into their day, as not as something mm-hmm. not very important or something mm-hmm. you can get away with not doing because you can't see the changes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we try and recruit more people into the study, I don't know what number you're up to now. Um but this is the hurdle that we have to you know, help people get over to as, as like, they're really willing to go to the gym to train with protein and their muscles in their body. Mm-hmm. How do we mm-hmm. help people see that this is also beneficial for their body, but for their life um, in terms of building mm-hmm. that brain muscle?
1: Yeah. So you, you touched on quite a few very important pieces. So, I want to go back and talk a little bit about the mindset too. So I think your mindset and, and your willingness to engage is a very critical piece, right? That that even gets people to, let's say, sign up for a, a brain training um, study or or just to to um, keep challenging yourself intellectually in your daily life. So this is very hard, right? So it, it is hard work. Um, but at the same time, if you keep trying, if you if you challenge yourself um, you will see, just as in physical exercise, you are getting better at things, and this realization then, I think, goes hand in hand in, in your uh, what Carol Dweck, as you just said, um, describes as as mindset. Your, your realization that yes, your brain is actually malleable. Your working memory, your elect- intellectual skills, um, uh, are. Um, responsive to to these changes and that as you're persisting and as you're trying, you are getting better. And in our work, we have indeed seen when you look at um, people who um, report that relatively speaking that they have a more pronounced um, malleable mindset. So they're more inclined to argue that yes, my, my working memory skills and my intellectual skills are malleable versus those who feel it, it's something that's more fixed. So indeed, the people who have this more malleable mindset are the ones that that train better. They, they show more training benefits and then they also show more, more transfer. So it's almost like a, um, a a circle, right? So if you are open to the idea that your working memory is malleable, you, you, you put more engagement and more effort to it. And that, again, feeds into you getting more benefits from training as opposed to if you're, sitting on, on one of these problems and that just throw up your hands and say, oh, it does, there's no point in me even trying because there's no benefit, then of course you will not get any benefit because you're not doing it, right? And you're not trying. So I think they they really go kind of hand in hand and practice and, and maybe over time, uh, people might indeed uh, develop more of these uh, malleable mindsets by realizing, yes, I try this, I train on this will indeed get better. And I think that it's very helpful.
0: I also think what's interesting with you know talking to the public and everything in these spaces around the brain okay. is that the brain is incredibly plastic across our lifespan. And us as neuroscientists did a very poor job Uh, up until about 2000s, where we said the brain was fixed after the age of 25. So there's still that, and you'll still hear people saying, well, you're 60 now, you're 70 now, you're 80 now, but there's so much evidence of people training their brain up until 110 that are incredibly sharp, even sharper than some 18-year-olds, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're engaged in doing new things and learning new things across their whole lifespan. I think that's some of the evidence that's coming out around the century, you know, the people living past 100 healthy and strong, for example. And I think Mm -hmm. when people think of memory training, they think that that's don't worry about it. They don't see it as building muscle for the brain Mm -hmm. that then passes on to resisting overeating or helping you to want to make yourself exercise. They don't see all of the additional, it's not just training your memory it's training Mm -hmm. physical connections in your brain that are strengthening lots of circuits in your brain, not just that one section. Exactly.
1: And, and another thing that I want to emphasize there, right? So brain training is maybe one avenue, right? But there's other avenues too, that can foster these connections and and maintain brain plasticity as we age. So uh, A good example is um, what we often see when when people retire from intellectually engaging jobs and then they don't really know what to do with their lives. And in the extreme example, they're sitting maybe at home and and watching TV. um, And then that that often goes then hand in hand with a very sharp decline in in cognitive functioning. Whereas where other people who stay engaged and, and go out and maybe take courses at uh, old age, like a uh, third age uh, universities, I don't know how they're called in Australia, or they are um, doing book clubs or they're uh, um, the world. playing music with their friends or traveling the world to really keep intellectually engaged. So that, that's really a, 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 um, an additional more large scale uh, way how you can kind of foster and maintain uh, brain plasticity.
0: Yes. So I... Uh, Yes. Mm -hmm. The Blue Zones work have shown this a lot uh, about Mm -hmm. the where people are living well and free of chronic diseases uh, have shown that it's these things around moving your body a lot, being engaged Mm -hmm. in new activities, eating food from the garden and being very socially connected. And so you can do brain training, but it's not enough just to sit on a computer and do brain training and not then be engaged socially. This is the thing you've got to transfer the gains you're making into the real life, right? Because you need your body moving Mm -hmm. for the brain the body state. It's a Mm -hmm. holistic thing. We're not just saying this is enough. We're just saying this is an aspect of something that allows you to see that you can expand the power of your brain. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly. And, And if you think about how a child grows up and learns and is exposed to all these new learning experiences, right? And runs around and 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 has really this enriched uh way how, how we can learn and at some point in when, as we get older we we kind of are maybe in that mindset that we do what we always have been doing for the past several years and we're not exposing ourselves to these new experiences and um exposing ourselves to new experiences and engaged and say intellectually curious is really key to um to brain plasticity, so what we're hoping to do is um, ways that, of course, these I would call them relatively small-scale interventions. These these brain training interventions on the computer, but they can be combined or enriched with other more broad lifestyle activities such as yes, playing music, dancing, the arts, physical exercise, volunteering, education, and and um, how we can better get a better understanding of their relative impact so folks can also make informed choices that will not only be beneficial but also give them joy and purpose right so you don't want to just engage in something because someone tells you oh this is what you should do because that's beneficial if you don't like it <laughs> if you if you uh, really don't enjoy it then it, it's probably you might have to look out for some other alternatives that that bring you joy and curiosity and and enjoyment and and otherwise it, it's kind of only a chore, and that's probably not super fun either. <laughs>
0: so you did uh, work in uh, University of Bern in Switzerland, and then a postdoc at University of Michigan, and, and now you're running your own lab. Congratulations, that's a big deal. How did you come to this area? Like, what was your, what's your background story that, because um, it is an unusual one in some sense, um, <laughs> and it's really exciting, to go from cognitive psychology into this whole area of neuroscience, which is groundbreaking. So what was your steps there?
1: Right. Right. I mean, I didn't really plan being a professor in, in, in California at all. So that was not necessarily something I I planned with. So when I was an undergrad, I was really interested in in understanding executive functions and Uh uh, working memory in uh, particular. And, um, coming up with ways to understand capacity limits in executive function and working memory so how far can people go and how far can they expand how did
0: um, you get interested in that is that because you're a student is that because you're a student Um, I was a
1: student I was reading papers or chapters and I just found this super interesting um just in general, that the domain of executive function and cognitive psychology, and I did an exchange at the University of Edinburgh in uh, in Scotland, yeah. where I took some classes in individual differences with Ian Derry, who is a uh, um, uh, has done a lot of work in in trying to understand individual differences and also look at um, lifespan uh, or lifestyle experiences in, in how that can benefit uh, brain health. And I, I got really curious in, in kind of understanding, um, first of all, capacity limits and executive function and working memory. And then in particular, well, can we find ways to expand these cap- um, capacity limits? And And if so, how can we do that? And how does that translate into the brain? So how does it look at the brain level? If we go beyond capacity limits and then try to expand these uh, capacity
0: limits, did you try and then I, I yourself, Did you try anything yourself?
1: Yes, I mean when we develop our training interventions, we always try them ourselves too because we do a lot of uh, prototyping, uh, a lot of testing, a lot of um, uh, development work. So we always kind of train uh, ourselves uh, as well, and then. My team of undergrads are usually the, the first ones to also try and train and and, and pilot things, and then uh, other friends before we go to to other participants. And then we uh, ran a larger uh, scale trial with uh, older adults, and and we would call them even old old adults because <laughs> they were uh, um, uh, eighty uh, and above, and they engaged in this. Um, we had multi-component uh, training there so working memory training they did some physical exercise as well and, and um, some literacy type training and uh, they, they uh, trained over the course of uh, three months um, a, a couple of times a week and anecdotally speaking that was really enriching for them so a lot of them uh, told us too so this is something that they have would have not thought of themselves to be able to improve at that age and then then feel uh, differences in in their cognitive functioning that um, they described as, oh, I just feel a little bit more awake. I feel more sharp in general. I feel more uh, aware uh, of things and that they would not have thought that this was still possible at their age. And that, of course, is very motivating, right? As a scientist, where you can see, um, you can actually do work that Makes a difference, right, in in yeah. people's lives, and 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 that makes it fun as well.
0: Of yes, course. and so I think the interesting thing there is that um, it's the individual differences, and we need to keep emphasizing that, because if someone already has really good working memory, there's no point training extra there necessarily. Right. I mean, you might be able to expand it, but like you're better off training into things you're not good at in a way to expand. Mm-hmm your capacities and that's hard because you're in a weakness then and you're training on right. that so mm-hmm. I love the individual differences um, part that you keep mm-hmm. emphasizing and mm-hmm. I'm really glad that people yes, have yes. benefited from your work because that's hugely important isn't it mm-hmm.
1: yeah no I think um, that's a really good point of course it could be nice even if you have very very well functioning intellectual skills to still improve there. That's fun too. Uh, but um, ultimately that kind of gets to this rich get richer phenomenon, right? So yes. it would be nice. But ultimately we would like to um benefit those people who are struggling and and who have ways to to improve. Uh, and ultimately that's really the the clientele. So the, the population that we're trying to benefit there. Yes, okay. exactly.
0: So um, what's your thinking after all the work you've done over the last decades? Um, where do you think the future is with brain training? What do you see coming that none of us would be aware of? Um,
1: I don't know whether we're not aware of, but I think so. It, it, it I'm really hoping that we can find ways to come up with more specific and personalized intervention that can cater to folks' uh, individual strengths and needs, that we can really tailor interventions to to each individual, um, and how we can define these personalized interventions. I think that's really the challenge. So do we do some brain scans at the beginning to understand some of the biomarkers, and that lets us to select uh, what they should uh, train, Or do we do some neuropsychological assessments and see, oh, you have some relative weaknesses in um, your ability to resolve interference or uh, or your ability for inhibitory control. So that's maybe what you should most uh, focus on as compared to to working memory. Um, Or whether there are certain personality characteristics and others that also impact kind of how you should design um, your task. For example, if you um or someone who easily gives up when things become hard uh then maybe we can supplement uh, certain coaching structures and scaffolds to explain and and help people overcome some of these struggles and then then persist longer when things are uh, becoming hard that ultimately then then benefit or a combination of all of these things so yeah. i think that's really where we would like to go and where we where I see the field uh going,
0: and so looking futuristically um where does it end up so what happens when we're all brain fit?
1: oh, when we're all brain fit, yeah, that would be yeah. ideal, right so in I'm an ideal curious, world yeah, and a yeah. dream world, right, then you wouldn't see any cases of dementia right and and people would really have uh healthy lives um Uh, for a really long time. I don't know whether that's a super realistic um, um, idea of the world. Um, The the cases of dementia will certainly be there. But if you find ways to extend the span um, of our lives before developing dementia, right, that would already be a really nice um, uh, and, and a very... A uh, nice outcome for us scientists, I, I think, because there's still kind of there are certain genetic uh, makeups and 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 just the fact that we're getting older and older in our society, just uh, this fact by itself makes it more probable that people will eventually develop uh, dementia. But again, if you can kind of postpone the onset of dementia in, in several ways. That would be really huge.
0: I mean, there's a lot of evidence too of nuns and others that have been, you know, but whatever you want to call it, they were preying on their beads and shown to have all the signs and hallmarks of dementia and Alzheimer's, but didn't actually have any of the cognitive signs right. too. So, mm-hmm. I, I often like to think of the brain as onion layers, and the more pe- more layers you can add on to the onion, the less the more things that have to be peeled off in terms of as you get mm-hmm. older as well but there's no guarantees that's for sure we don't know there's no
1: guarantees yes Mm -hmm. and people talk about this idea of cognitive reserve right Mm -hmm. where as you describe it you have more of these peels and more um more networks and, and and more additional um resources that you can draw on so if things go wrong right you might have alternative ways to to deal with it and and brain training and cognitive training could be one of these ways uh, to address this along with other lifestyle choices and experiences that you build up um, really starting when you're very young too. So it, it's um, it's important to start early on when you're in 20s or even earlier, but it's also never too late. That's another thing to start being engaged in, and start up uh, new um, activities and, and uh, remain engaged. I so think that's another critical point.
0: So to the audience um i don't know what you do for your daily brain training but would you like to tell the audience a little bit what yours looks like on a daily basis and how you think well, about
1: it well i'm i'm yeah i mean i'm i'm a scientist right so i i try to to really be intellectually engaged and intellectually curious all day long so i really all day long i i um am engaged in in problem solving and and thinking through um Uh, issues and 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 trying to think through complex uh, problem that's kind of my way uh, of brain training Um, and um, I do other things like um, I play some games I I try to also be engaged in um, in the arts or be outside and doing chores so there are lots of different things that I do um, that I think are very beneficial for uh, my brain health and also uh, um, things like uh, nu- nutrition, right and, and trying to get enough sleep to, to really have this holistic approach to kind of what what is um, being good for me and also what makes me feel good about myself and my my, my uh, try to be happy and, and try to be um, content with the things that I do.
0: So a lot of uh, people would be interested, but you're a very successful woman woman in science, raised a lot of money for a huge project from the National Institutes of Health. That's really not easy to do. So would you like to give some advice for women that want to become scientists um, or uh, business people, uh, some advice that you'd like to give them how they can be successful?
1: Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Uh, it, it's hard to give very concrete kind of like a recipe. here is what you do, and then you would be successful. But I think one of the key things, nonetheless, is that you have to find a topic or a profession that that piques your curiosity and passion. So really something that keeps you going and that makes you want to spend time and work on a problem, and keep asking questions. I think that's a very important part. So you don't want to stop and, okay, now I'm done, I can move on to something else, but something that that um, lets you keep asking questions, and ideally find something that not only challenge you, uh, challenges you in that um, sense, but also something that you like to engage in. Um, so in that sense, be open for new experiences. I think that's another key thing. And probably don't plan too much. As I was saying earlier, right, I didn't plan to be in California and be a, a full professor. So the kind of that evolved uh, as time went on. And, and I was open to move, right, from Switzerland to the States, uh, which for a long time I said, well, there's no way I would move to the United States. I, I wouldn't know what to do there. And here I am. Uh, <laughs> many years later, I'm still there and, and have my own lab. So so don't take yourself too seriously either, right? So be open for these new experiences. So, and I think from a cognitive health perspective, going back to that again, so such activities and, and engagements do not only promote your intellectual growth, but they will contribute to your cognitive health more broadly speaking, but also then to your well-being and quality of life um, across the lifespan.
0: That's a great so answer. So having a
1: purpose, I think.
0: That's yeah. a great answer. Um so how can uh the citizens listening to the podcast and and the column, how can they access how can they join your project?
1: Yes, so I'm hoping there will be a link where people can sign up, but um uh to our citizen science Fair project. Um but we also have a tiny URL, dot uh, tinyurl.com slash UCI um so that's a way uh, they can find the sign up form and uh, sign on uh, in in doing their brain training exercises and they would um uh, they will get more uh, information about how it's exactly structured but typically it's uh, between 3 weeks and and 4 weeks uh, where people engage in uh, first, doing some assessments and then engaging in these um, brain training exercises over the course of a couple of weeks, followed then again by assessments. And uh, hopefully, they will have fun uh, and learn something from it,
0: and and um,
1: uh, get engaged and uh, realize yes, they can improve their working memory and attention skills that way.
0: Yes, and I'll put a link to to for people to access from the podcast as well. But Fantastic. I think, thank you. When people contribute to this project, which is going to be thirty thousand people over time, not only will it end up in publications, but also help other people um, the, in the yes. future too, as we try and improve all of the ways that we understand how the brain can thrive over time. Precisely, yes. So thank and you, Susan so much for joining our podcast today i think we've we've learned so much and uh i hope to continue working with you and talking to you about your success as you keep publishing in this field and i just want to say from the bottom of my heart i'm really really grateful that you've taken on this project because i, I can't see how else this work can be done in this field so thank you
1: yeah thank you so much and i i really appreciate the time and uh the possibility to share our work and i hope um We can continue to do great things that
0: way. Thank you so much. You're welcome.